Welcome to Maniacally Midwest, a true crime podcast. What up, listeners? Uh, A happy new year from Chloe and myself. We've decided over the holiday season, we've been feeling very generous. And so we are going to be recording this extra bonus episode to release to you guys over New Year's weekend. Um, So this time, Chloe is going to be presenting a case and I have zero idea what it's going to be about. Better be a good one. And no dogs better be harmed in this one, Chloe. There's no animals at all. No bestiality this week, you guys. So that's exciting. Awesome. Well, let's get right into it then. Okay. So this week we're taking it way back. We're going back to the 1930s. You guys know I love a good uh, old scandal as we had with the Pecs in Grand Rapids. That was super fun. So I wanted to find something equally as salacious and also switching it up this time. This is a female killer. Okay. Ooh. So uh, she's from Ohio. Let's so, do it. Also, Katie's going to love this because she has some German roots. Um, and everybody in the story basically is German. So I'm going to mess up the names and she's going to jump in with her. Thanks a bunch. My mom is going to call me a lot. Perfect. My mom is the German lover in our family. My mom's a German teacher or was a German teacher right now. She's just a regular teacher, but yeah, she's not no. going to be pleased with my pronunciation. So anyway, nine, nine. yeah. <laughs> so Anna Marie Hahn was an immigrant from Germany. She was born in 1906 and immigrated to Ohio at the age of 21. She was the youngest of 12 children, but five of her siblings had actually died by the time she was born. Mm. Yeah. Her father, George Filzer, was a furniture manufacturer and her family was considered pretty well off for the time. So she had a pretty average childhood for the time growing up in Germany. Everything was, you know, pretty good. This is Um, like three wars, right? What year again? So yeah. 1906. So yeah. So at the age of 19, Anna became pregnant with her son, Oscar, and she told her family that the father of her child was her husband at the time, who was a physician from Vienna, Dr. Max Matschecki, a well-known cancer researcher. She had to tell them that this child was her husband. (laughs) Well, listen, however, there was no record of Dr. Matschecki. Okay, it's never been found that so to this day, nobody knows the identity of Oscar's real father. Basically, it's presumed that she just made this person up. Nobody met the guy. Basically, she said that he ended up dying. And so then in 1929, her family sends her to go live in the United States while her son remains in Germany with the family. So she moves to the United States. And she meets another German immigrant named Philip Hahn, who is a telephone operator, and they get married. Philip was not super satisfied with being a telephone operator and really wanted to leave his job. So they saved their money and they opened up a few delis where they both worked. And from the outside, 
their relationship looked super healthy, really normal. Um, it looked like they were happy, like they had their businesses, nothing amiss. But mm-hmm. uh, they had their share of problems, many of which Philip said revolved around Anna's hunger for money. Uh, she seemed to tire quickly of her duties operating one of the delis and opted to work on various money-making schemes. Ooh. So her first choice was arson, naturally, <laughs> right? Who's this in, you know? Yeah. And there were three suspicious fires on the books, uh, the first of which occurred at one of the delis. And then the other two happened at their house so the one at the deli pretty minimal damage she got 300 dollars. cool but then the ones at her house were more substantial and she ended up getting around two thousand dollars for both fires so you know at this point we're like in the early 30s that's a chunk of change that's a good amount of money then in her quest for money she landed on the idea of creating a life insurance scheme which is funny that we both in this case chose crimes you know katie's uh crime this week really revolved around getting money from a life insurance policy right and i'm really sorry you guys i realized after we recorded it that i never said minnesota in my like fargo accent (laughs) so there you go enjoy thank you for that thanks for clearing that up so first, uh, Anna tries insuring her husband for $25,000. She tries doing this twice. <laughs> They're like, no, like for whatever reason, doesn't work. <laughs> After the second failed attempt to insure her husband, he mysteriously becomes ill. He's rushed to the hospital by his mom because Anna's like, no, like you're fine. You don't need to be seen. So his mom has to come. She's get like, him. no, your life insurance policy company says you're worthless. No hospital for you. Yeah, basically uh luckily the husband lives he gets you know revived at the hospital and he ends up being fine but he's over it he's like I'm out dude this is not the marriage for me so good for him Anna needs to find someone else to utilize in her life insurance scheme because she uh, is no longer the beneficiary of any of his (laughs) life insurance policies so it sounds like he has zero they rejected him they were like no he's a loser no thank you well exactly but i mean i think philip was an okay guy i'm glad he didn't die i'll say that listen Uh, german delis are bomb so i i think he's worth something i would that's what i'm saying so she's like out here looking for somebody to run her life insurance scheme on and even though she has no prior experience or qualifications as a nurse She decides in 1932 that she's going to offer her services as a live-in nurse to elderly men in the German community. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So her first patient was Ernest Koch, who was relatively healthy for his age, just needed some help around the house, basically. And he soon falls ill. Yeah, I was going to say not for long. Exactly. Going. Poor Ernest. So he passes away on May 6, 1932, conveniently leaving his house to Anna in his will. Even more conveniently, the ground floor of the house uh, that he had left her in the will was occupied by a doctor's office. And Anna often visited her tenants to steal like blank prescription pads 
so she could keep herself supplied for her nursing business for all the medicine you know that she was dispensing to keep people well yeah all the poison she needs perfect okay good her next patient was albert parker who was 72 at the time And this time she wants to change things up, right? Because it's probably going to look suspicious if two people die in a row with leaving stuff in their will to you. So instead of having a will written up, she opts for an IOU of $2,000 from Albert. So she borrows the money before he dies. And then after his death, the paperwork stating the debt conveniently just disappears. Yeah. And in the ongoing effort to avoid speculation, uh, she chose to just receive a lump sum of $17,000 from her next victim, Jacob Wagner. (laughs) That's really nice. Generous of her. Oh, yeah. And so she avoided suspicion with receiving the $17,000 by having his will state that she was Wagner's beloved niece. So she convinced this guy that she was his niece, even though he had no, like, known family living around, basically. Okay, so right now, her body count is up to three, including this guy, but, like, four, including the attempted murder of Philip, right? Philip, yeah. I mean, okay, first of all, it's interesting. It's a woman killer, but (laughs) women serial killers, which I think that you have to be over three to be considered a serial killer. I don't know. I don't know that that's, Maybe that I just made that up. <laughs> that's why KB has only killed two people, actually. You got to keep the numbers low. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to cross that line, you know, but then it's inappropriate. Oh but no, God. I mean, women serial killers is extremely rare. Well, typically. I think basically, so there's a little bit of like scrutiny over this, but I think she was like the fourth female serial killer in the history of the united states people were saying so she paved the way guys equality (laughs) (laughs) so soon after she gets the seventeen thousand dollars from wagner right she earns another fifteen thousand dollars through the death of her patient george gesellman and she claimed that this amount was owed to her for the care of him before his death and Um, what is what year are we in i want to see how Mm -hmm. much money this equals because the first one was what seventeen thousand. you said yeah let me give you the running tally so right now we're at four victims plus the attempted murder of the husband right and she has earned the house which we don't even know the value on that and then at least thirty four thousand dollars of liquid cash Okay, so that equals in today's value over six hundred sixty thousand dollars. Oh my god! So she's That's- living in the lap of luxury. Yeah. So she's making six hundred sixty thousand dollars just by inheriting crap off the will, but she's being paid essentially prior to killing them. So just whatever the house is worth, and not only that, I wasn't able to figure this out, but. The house that she lived in with the arson, right? With her husband, Mm -hmm. she had received through her aunt and uncle passing away. So she's basically been gifted two houses. She's making money. She has all this money that she's stealing from people. I mean, 
crap. You know, I have received zero houses in my life and I haven't killed anyone. So I have also received zero houses. Right, right. Okay, so after the death of George Gesellman, Anna moves on to her final victim, who is also named George, but his name is George Obendorfer. So Obendorfer was a 67-year-old cobbler from the Cincinnati area, and he was lured by Anna to travel with her and her son to her supposed ranch in Colorado. Wait, hold on, your son is now in the U.S.? Oscar, at some point, that also wasn't clear, but at some point he came over to the United States to live with his mom. I want to say in this range, he's around like 10 years old. Basically, her son ends up testifying that Obendorfer becomes ill, like even on the train to Colorado. Then they go there, they get a hotel, and on August 1st, 1937, Doctors at the Memorial Hospital in Colorado Springs contacted local authorities regarding the sudden and mysterious death of a patient. So that's George. He's our victim. They said he had fallen unexplainably ill just days earlier, and doctors were unable to determine what had made him sick. Their best efforts had not been enough to save him. And after interviewing staff members at the hospital, investigators discovered that Obendorfer had been visiting the area that he's initially, like he's originally from Ohio. And apparently he was there along with two unknown companions and that they had checked into the Park Hotel on July 30th, 1937. Authorities found the circumstances really intriguing because the owner of the hotel had just filed a report regarding $300 worth of stolen diamonds. They're like, oh, we want to know, is this related? This seems pretty sketch. Right. So they go over to the Park Hotel and they learn that Obendorfer had registered there with a woman named Anna Marie Hahn and her young son, Oscar. According to the hotel owner, Mrs. Hahn had informed him that she lived in Cincinnati and was in Colorado on vacation. They go to check out the room. There's no real clues in there. Anna and her son nowhere to be found. In an attempt to determine where the jewels and uh, like if the jewels and Obendorfer's death were related, they begin visiting local pawn shops with the hope that whoever stole the diamonds took it to a pawn shop to get just the money from it. So they're visiting all these different pawn shops and one of the owners informs them that a woman who was accompanied by a young boy had tried to pawn similar jewels but the owner had not decided to purchase them. And his description obviously matches the description of the hotel owner's uh, description of Anna and her son. They're searching for Han, they can't find her. Uh, Then they find out that a woman fitting Anna's description had tried to withdraw $1,000 from a bank in Denver using a Cincinnati bank book in the name of George Obendorfer. And even though the woman claimed to be Mrs. George Obendorfer, the bank manager, sensing something was not right, refused to make the transaction. So she's being super messy. She's out here. She's like trying to pawn all these diamonds. She's trying to literally withdraw money from his bank account, posing as his wife. And I I feel like the thing that really screwed her was this jewel thing. Yeah. And that was essentially like $5,000 
in today's <laughs> she made 660,000 right like comparing like what why would you do that you idiot and I mean a thousand dollars is not even that much compared to it but I think the $300 in missing jewels is really what made the hotel and the police get on her case hardcore. Absolutely. So the Colorado authorities place a warrant out for her arrest, arrest under the suspicion of grand larceny regarding the stolen jewels from the hotel. And then at that point, they're like, we don't think she's in Colorado anymore. So they contact the police department in Cincinnati because they figure she probably went home. The police end up going to her home in Cincinnati and she's there. They pick her up, they arrest her. She initially claims that she doesn't even know who Opendorfer is. <laughs> okay. And then they're like, uh, well, that's weird because you signed the hotel's guest registry book for yourself, for Opendorfer, and for your son. So then she's like, oh, that's right. Well, I met him on the train. Luckily, for investigators uh a bunch of george's relatives lived in the area and they're able to shed some light on the situation fill in some of the gaps so they interview his family and learn that george had immigrated to ohio from russia he was just a retired shoemaker a father of three and he had recently separated from his wife they were super shocked by his sudden death saying that he had been in excellent health the family knew that he had been dating Anna. So they were an item, right? Oh, I thought she was just his nurse. Okay. Well, the trip, according to the relatives, was uh, Anna's idea. And he had gone along under the premise that they were going to visit a ranch that she owned in Colorado Springs. So she basically like made up a ranch. I'm not sure why she dragged him like all the way out to Colorado. Like maybe she just wanted a vacation, but she had to take work with her. Like, I'm not sure how that works for murderers, but that was kind of weird to me. She didn't request time off far enough in advance. What are you going to do? I guess not. With all this new evidence, Anna ends up admitting to detectives that she did know George, but she claims to have met him. (laughs) Oh, okay, good. We already knew that, but thanks for finally admitting it. Right. No, this lady's like ridiculous. So she claims to have met him uh, at a local shoe shop, but denied that they had been involved in a relationship. And she goes back to her original story, basically saying that just by chance that George happened to be on the train and coincidentally, they were both going on vacation to the same place and so she's like oh well we got along really well on the train and we ended up deciding to stay in the same room <laughs> yeah. and then she's like well but then it like got kind of weird he ended up getting sick like right after we got to the hotel and he ended up going to the hospital and then she says oh I didn't hear anything or talk to him after that <laughs> We were having a good time. He went to the hospital. I never heard from him again. <laughs> right? That's like, I don't know. It was, yeah, just totally normal. At this point, investigators are like, okay, we got to dig deeper into her background. We got to figure out what the fuck's going on here. So then they're shocked when they discover a separate case, the mysterious death of 78-year-old Jacob Wagner. Remember him with his beloved niece? Anna ends up telling investigators that she's been caring for Wagner while she was working as a nurse 
and that he had mysteriously died two months earlier and in his final will he had left his entire estate to her. While the coroner's report listed heart disease as the cause of death for Wagner, a suspicious friend had been badgering police to investigate uh, and an exhumation had actually just been granted. So that happened at the exact right time. So they Uh dig up Wagner and they really begin putting the pieces together uh, and decide to go visit Wagner's neighborhood to see if there are any additional witnesses, people that they can talk to. Because basically, she's not really giving them anything. It's like a little tiny sliver of truth, and they're trying to figure out how to put this all together. Yeah. Uh, so they learned that Anna had approached Wagner. She claimed to have been his long-lost niece. He's like, I have no living relatives. Basically, like, put her off as like, whatever, like, you're clearly not my niece. But then she was really persistent and he ended up allowing her to help him with just like his day to day chores. Uh, yeah. Neighbors also claimed that Anna had spent several hours in Wagner's apartment after his death. And then investigators found this woman who lived by Wagner. Her name was Olive Luella Kohler. They learned that Anna had befriended the woman and on at least two occasions had brought her ice cream cone treats. However, after eating the second cone, Mrs. Kohler became violently ill and was admitted to the hospital. Uh, And during her stay at the hospital, somebody stole a bag from her residence, which contained an unknown amount of cash and jewelry. And then they learned about another mysterious death because basically they're just following the trail now so friends of Gesellman's told authorities that he had become suddenly ill after his last visit with Anna and died shortly thereafter and they end up exhuming his body as well the preliminary examination of Gesellman's body indicates that there was some kind of metallic poisoning they're thinking arsenic at first Upon further investigation, they discover it's croton oil, which I've never heard of, but this was, I guess, a general household remedy at the time for like stomach problems. Either. I Googled it and it's basically poison. It's like really similar to arsenic. And actually uh, it said online that it like induces like diarrhea. So I'm not sure why they were giving it people two people to treat stomach problems basically they find this stuff uh in his body the husband right remember who she initially tried to kill philip he comes forward and he gives them a half ounce bottle of croton oil that he had taken away from his wife when the two (laughs) lived together he's like uh yeah basically while we were married like I found this did some research figured out that she probably was using it to poison me and he told the newspaper I kept intending to turn it over to the police okay and just conveniently had forgotten to and then they find this and he's like oh shit yeah by the way guys life gets busy what are you gonna do you know I guess so they take that to the pharmacist that she's been going to and to corroborate the husband's story and he's like oh yeah like she actually she purchased that oil here uh on july 20th in 1936 and she had told the pharmacist that it was for her husband who she claimed was a german druggist and that he used the oil in his practice so 
there's no like check they're just like okay good I guess not back in the day I guess things were just a little bit looser whatever you know it's the same thing uh Artie going to the well that's exactly what I was thinking about you know what we'll just poison these cats are you sure okay fine let's do yeah so the 20s and the 30s were a wild time there were no rules everybody was just grabbing poison left and right I guess what can you do then they go to search Anna's home and they find a promissory note for two thousand dollars money that she had borrowed from somebody named Albert Parker so they end up finding the IOU right that had conveniently disappeared so why keep that we're like I you, don't know you're an arsonist so it up freaking fire what right like anything so they follow that they go now they go to albert's house oh, god right because they want to go talk to his uh relatives basically they're just building like a rock solid case at this point and uh they're informed by relatives that he died because they don't even know that he's dead at this point they're just like oh who's this fucking promise can we talk to albert oh he's dead (laughs) cute right so they find out he's dead they find out that anna had been caring for him before his death and then in addition relatives also inform investigators that there's at least four thousand dollars missing from his estate Oh. yeah so Ohio authorities are just getting more than like what they'd even bargained for and their suspicions turn to allegations when the results of Jacob Wagner's autopsy come back uh they don't find any croton oil in Wagner's body but they did discover large quantities of arsenic so she's just switching it up she's using everything so they've got enough they're like dude we need to go arrest this girl like we have five billion people that she's killed in all these different ways and she's taken money from all of them so and they want to do it before she gets extradited to Colorado because they want all the glory now I I'm assuming because they've been chasing down this lady's victims like all over Cincinnati they arrest her in Cincinnati on August 10th 1937 and charge her with the murder of Jacob Wagner Because that is like the most solid case that they can tie her to. They have the most uh, physical evidence of that. Right. So she goes to trial on October 11th, 1937. And the state painted a story of Wagner's last agonizing days and utilized witnesses of all backgrounds. They included like the hospital employees. They had chemists come in and basically they were like, yeah, there was enough arsenic in that man to kill like four people. Like- It was, yeah, aggressive. And then in an unusual move, the judge even allowed the state to introduce evidence relating to the other poisoning cases in order to show a pattern of homicidal behavior. So all these other, you know, people that they've been chasing around, they also allow them to present that. Well, that's kind of surprising to me. With little evidence of their own to refute the state's claim, the defense is left with just Anna okay and so she takes the stand she doesn't even she doesn't have any evidence all she basically does is go up there and denies any wrongdoing and doesn't slip up like comes off really cool calm and collected but this 
this doesn't move people, you know, like we spoke about last episode, when you do decide to uh, go defend yourself, people are going to have their own thoughts and feelings about you. Uh, Yeah. While you were just telling this, I Googled her because I always want to see pictures. Yes. (laughs) I would, I don't even know what I would convict her of, but everything. I you like guys so will have to cute. check out our Instagram. We always post pictures yeah. of everybody involved in the stories and you go look at Anna's face. I mean, we're not here to judge, but you guys could be. So let us know what you think. So it takes only two hours for the jury to return with their verdict. And uh, they find her guilty with no recommendation for parole. She actually becomes the first woman in Ohio's history to be sentenced to death by electric chair. What? Yep. And she dies on December 17th, 1938. She left behind several pages of letters describing her life and what led her to do the things that she had done. She had made a deal basically with the local newspaper that she would give them these letters to publish because like I said this was a super sensational story at the time everybody wanted to like know what was happening especially from her point of view because she had I mean gone up there and said that she was innocent right and so she made this deal with the newspaper that she would give them all this information in return for paying for her son's schooling so After reading Anna's confessions, detectives are super shocked that she actually admits to any of her crimes, but they're also like really happy. I mean, these poor guys have been chasing this case around all over the place and they end up getting most of their answers. Uh, Were there any additional people that they didn't even have? No. So who knows? I mean, who knows how truthful she was in this, but she did explain basically like what really happened in all of those situations I don't know that she felt super guilty the newspaper did end up holding their end of the deal so in the end Oscar was 12 at the time in 1938 when she died and he was placed with a foster family somewhere in the midwest Uh, the newspaper never released where he was but they did pay for his education And the only thing that they said was that he lived a normal life and eventually fought for the Navy during World War II. So Oscar turned out okay. That makes me feel a little bit better about this whole ordeal. Well, that was my crime for this week. I hope you enjoyed another scandalous, you know, 20s, 30s crime. I feel like you have an easier time processing these because it's more removed. Oh, a hundred percent. Whereas like I ruin your life and then you're still calling me like two days ago saying how much the Indiana crime. I'm like still very concerned. I've been scared to go work out in my garage in the mornings because I'm like, wow, am I going to end up the next person with what did you say? A river of blood flowing out of the garage? Like, is that going to be me? It was it was 26 feet long. That was that is an extreme river. I'm actually really shocked about that. It must be really sloped driveway because that that is a lot. I have a really sloped driveway. So, <laughs> well, I don't know what to tell you. Leave the garage door shut. It'll be fine. Thank okay. you, everyone, for listening to us. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Maniacally Midwest. You can follow us on TikTok with the same handle. 
Um, Chloe hasn't gotten her OnlyFans up and running yet, but we're working on it. <laughs> we will not be partaking in OnlyFans, but thanks, thanks for trying, Katie. <laughs> but no, like for real, send us if you guys ever have suggestions for crimes that you want us to cover, feel free to DM us. We always love to hear from listeners. Definitely, if you have a chance to rate us either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be amazing. It really helps us out. And tell all your friends to listen. <laughs> yeah, definitely do. We really appreciate all of the support that we've gotten and all the positive feedback and even negative feedback. You guys, I get it. Chloe's annoying. I'm super cool. I just tolerate her. You're going to have to also. That's weird. I got a DM that said, wow, tell Katie to fuck off. No. <laughs> Just kidding. We haven't received any explicit like negative feedback, but yeah, yeah, no. any, that's fine too. I really appreciate it. I know Chloe does too. And we hope that you guys had a great 2021 and then you're going to have an even better 2022. So happy new year. Happy new year. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.